Hello and welcome to the Mind Your Business podcast series. I am Leslie Anderson, president and CEO of the New Jersey Redevelopment Authority. And today we're talking to our success stories. Businesses that not only survived, but thrived during this recent pandemic. And allow me to be clear, we're still in a pandemic, but we at the NJRA thought it was a good opportunity to pause and to talk to business owners who have uh, continued uh, once the governor lifted the emergency order to operate uh, as non-essential businesses and to provide uh, key products and services to the community. I am so excited today to be joined by Arlene Felder with Glassy Brown Cookies. And I, uh, uh, Arlene, I'm starting a little bit because I'm a foodie. I got to get me a cookie. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. And uh, Joanne Kennedy Brown, the gingered peach. Um, I want to learn more about that as well. And Celeste Rivers from Mommy's Best Friend 2. It is a child care center and preschool. And I have to share this with you, Celeste. Uh, child care is near and dear to my heart. My mother was the executive director of a child care center in Plainfield for over 30 years. She retired about 10 years ago. So it is very near and dear to my heart. And I know how critically important the service you provide uh, to the community. So what I'd like to do is give you an opportunity to introduce yourselves and to talk about the business. And let's do it in the order in which I introduced you. So we'll start with Arlene, Joanne, and then Celeste. Hello, Joanne. I can't wait to meet you one day. Um, I don't have any uh, little kids to for mommy's best friend, um, but I'm sure I can rec recommend someone out in Plainfield. I believe that's where you're located. Um, so my name is Arlene Felder. I have a cookie company. Uh, it's called Glassy Brown Cookies. And if you're wondering why we're called Glassy Brown Cookies, it's because we see cookies in your future. We have a variety of different cookies. We have uh, peach cobbler cookies, banana pudding cookies, red velvet cookies, so many flavors. I can't even name. I have flavors for days. So Arlene, before we let Joanne go, where specifically are you located? So we are located in Burlington City, New Jersey, 224 High Street in Burlington City. And our second location, which just recently opened, we're three weeks in, is located in the Morristown Mall in Morristown, New Jersey. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Joanne. Hello. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is uh, Joanne Kennedy Brown. I'm the uh, head baker and owner at the Gingered Peach located in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Uh, the gin I like to best describe the Gingered Peach as a full scratch bake shop. We make everything from traditional French croissant to uh, cinnamon buns to cookies to beef empanadas on the weekends. Um, I, we act both in a retail capacity, which you can find at 2 Gordon Avenue in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. Uh, we also act in a wholesale capacity, so you can catch our baked goods at Small World Coffee in Princeton, Rojo's Roastery in Princeton and Lambertville. You can also check out our collaboration with Shake Shack. Uh, we are in one of their uh, concretes, and they grind down our blackout cookie, and it's like a frozen ice cream treat. And if you're not in the lovely state of New Jersey, you can catch us on Gold Belly. We partnered with them about a year ago, and we ship nationwide. 
nice to meet everyone. Excellent, excellent, excellent. I uh, I have to get back to Trenton and find my way over to Lawrenceville to uh, stop by uh, the gingered peach. And I also have to get to glassy uh, brown cookies as well once this pandemic is fully over. Rounding us out, Celeste, tell us about your business and share where you are located. Good evening, ladies, and thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast. I'm excited to be here. I'm now hungry after hearing the first two ladies, and it sounds delicious. It sounds like we may need a a field trip to your location. (laughs) But my name is Celeste Rivers, and I am co-founder and owner of Mommy's Best Friend 2, located in New Brunswick. We're located at 594 Jersey Avenue, New Brunswick. We serve the ages of six weeks up to the age of six years old. So we combine academics and fun. We're curriculum-based, and our slogan is, your smile is our smile. So we make academics fun, and the, the children, you know, we just turn turn that school into magic each and every day. So that's that's who we are. And we're looking forward to, to meeting you ladies on our next field trip. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, ladies, I, I want to give you a little more background of how we arrived here today. Uh, in the midst of the pandemic, the New Jersey Redevelopment Authority uh, stepped out of our comfort zone. Uh, normally, we finance real estate development projects in designated redevelopment areas. But when the pandemic hit the state, um, we felt that it was important to take a look at how we could support small businesses and what we could do to help small businesses. So we launched the Small Business Lease Emergency Assistance Grant Program. We targeted small businesses leasing 5,000 square feet or less, and we paid their rent. It was very simple. As simplistic as the process was, there were still a number of businesses that weren't able to qualify for our support. And that was a cause for concern for me because a number of these businesses were businesses of color. They were either owned by African-Americans, Latinos, women, uh, veterans, and they couldn't access our resources. Additionally, they were in communities that were uh, primarily comprised of minorities and people of color. So I'm sitting with my staff and I said, these businesses need to learn how to mind their business and how to take care of their business. And this is an outgrowth of that thought process where I didn't want to tell businesses how to mind their business. I wanted to work with individuals like you who have successful businesses, who were in the trenches and could share directly your experiences as business owners. So let's start here. First question, and it doesn't matter the order, but I'd like to hear from each of you with a response. The governor announces a statewide shutdown for non-essential businesses. You hear that in his briefing, or you get an alert, or you read it online. What's your first thought as a business owner? I'll, I'll go, ladies. My first thought was it didn't register. Honestly, it just didn't register. I was like, mm, okay, like this is it's just not real. It didn't register whatsoever until um, my oldest called me from college and said, um, mom, the school is shutting down and I have to come home. I don't know when I'll be able to go back to school. And I'm like, well, what, what's going on? That's when it registered. That's when it registered. 
And I'm sorry. And, and it was a full shutdown for you, right? Full shutdown. Yes. And I'll do a follow-up question. So uh, Celeste and Joanne, you want to weigh in? Oh, it, you like grand opening, grand closing. Like that's literally what the vibe was when it happens, right? Like I, we get inventory, th we get huge shipments three to four days a week, depending on how busy we are. And I remember our major, our major shipment had just dropped. And so now I'm looking at about $10,000 in, in raw material mm -hmm. inventory. And I'm watching a community around me, like straight panic, like everybody's panicking. And, you know, the one thing about the Ginger Peaches brand, um, and, and it comes from just how I maneuver my life personally, is about, you know, commitment to community, commit, commitment to development of the people who work with me. And I realized very quickly in a moment that there was very little I could control about the situation, if anything. All that I can control was my response to it. And when I sat back and thought through what was going to be the next steps, and it was on, it wasn't quite on the plan, but I had an idea of what we were going to do. Um, the one thing that I've always, that we've always done as a business is we're, we're listening really closely to the consumer to understand what their wants and needs are and what capacity they want us to operate. And in the last couple of days leading up to our closure, we're hearing the supply chain issues like Arlene was just discussing. We're hearing people say, we can't get flour. I can't get sugar. I can't get bread. I can't get milk. The crazy thing about it is on the gross goods supply chain side, like what I, where I'm buying, there was no shortage. There was no shortage. The problem was that the supply chain was jacked to the consumer, not to mm -hmm. the business owner. So what mm -hmm. I went was in ginger peach fashion, y'all, it's time to be there for our community. So we started bagging all of our flour in five pound bags, two pound bags of sugar and selling it directly to our customers at what it cost us. And I said, this does us no good now. We don't even know what we're going to do with it. So people were able to come in by eggs, milk, flour, sugar, and we leveraged our economies of scale to make, you know, everyday pantry items available. And on top of that, we pulled our community and said, what do you need that you can't get? We bought in cases of pasta, beans, toilet paper, and people are literally buying it at what it cost us to do it. So that was kind of the approach that we took, or that was the approach that we took in, in dealing with the with the overflow of inventory that now existed because of an unprecedented shutdown. Kudos to you, uh, Joanne. That yeah. I mean, like excellent, excellent response. But it ties in and leads me to you, Celeste, because you are front facing with parents, right, who need the service that you provide so that they can work to provide for their family. So kind of walk me through uh, uh, your, your response. How, how did you handle the communication with the parents? How did you handle talking to your staff? Like, like how did all of that come about? Well, in the beginning for, for daycare centers, it was a shutdown and we literally at the, at the 11th hour had to apply to stay open as an essential business. And we were mm -hmm. only able to cater to uh, children of, of essential employees. So if you were not considered an essential employee, 
you could not put your child into daycare. So at that point, there were a couple of weeks where there were no children in my center. It was just a shutdown. And but I remained in that office and, um, you know, no children for about maybe probably about three to four weeks, probably about a month. I was there mm -hmm. with no children and I understood it was a panic. You know, children and parents didn't want to send their children just because we were unsure of everything. So I did apply to stay open as an essential business. And at that point, I communicated with the parents to let them know if you are employed as an essential worker, you can come back to school. And at that point, the government were they were giving out funds for the daycare centers that remained open, what I did was I waived all co-pays. So if there were any subsidy parents that um, that had a co-pay, all of those co-pays were waived. So whatever funding was sent to me, I passed that on to my parents. So they did not have the burden of having a co-pay and dealing with the pandemic at the same time. So that's pretty much how we handled things was just staying on top of things and making sure that we stayed open and we were available to the community for the essential workers. And, and I wanna go two directions on this one. Um, the, the first thing I wanna start with was once we did shut down, there was an announcement of a great deal of money that was gonna be made available to uh, small businesses. If, if you're comfortable and you wanna share, uh, share with us um, any money you might've received and I really think it's important without specifically naming like where where you or the source of the funding, some of the challenges you face as small businesses in accessing those resources. And you can go in any order. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, when I heard that there was funding, I laughed a little bit because for me, it has been challenging to receive funding. Um, I don't know if it's because of my skin. I'm not sure. Um, I've been in business for seven years, seven years. And it was it's very challenging to receive funding. So I'm not too sure how I feel about that question. Um, it's a little, it gets under my skin a little bit with that question, um, not because you asked me, but just in general. Um, but I will say one of the, some of the funding that I did receive finally received was um, NJRA. Um, I, I, I just, you know, you say shoot your shot. I saw the paper. Someone's like, yeah, throw that blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, I'm not going to qualify for this. I never qualify for anything. And I actually qualified. I was like, oh, this is nice. I was excited about it. Um, but it's tough. It's tough for me. I don't know about you ladies, Joanne Celeste. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but I'm just being honest. This is my truth about the funding. Um, but before you guys jump in, I, I want to say this is what I want you to do. I want you to be honest. I want you to be candid without specifically naming, because there are people that are going to listen that I'm in the room fighting for you. And some of the things that they're requiring of you as small businesses, I'm kind of like, you're going to lock these businesses out of the opportunity. So quickly, that's why the NJRA was intentional in 5,000 square feet or less, because we felt that got us to the small business, right? We were intentional not asking for your financial information. We were intentional not asking you about the number of employees that you had in your business because we didn't feel as if that made a difference as it related to your need. 
and we looked at what you needed to do and we centered on rent because we knew that even if you weren't open, your landlord still wanted you to pay rent. So, and then we looked at, well, what will we require? And the way that you prove that you have a business is you have a lease and everything. And, and, and I will share with you that initially when we started doing it, we were criticized for that in, in saying that we should have asked businesses for more information. And I didn't have the time or the staff to delve into your financials, your bank statement, and we paid your rent and we paid your landlord. It seemed uh, candidly back, Arlene, simple. And Can I just jump real quick before you sure. say anything else? Absolutely. Um, e even though you did that, which was amazing and blessings to you for asking mm -hmm. for that information, just the lease, in my story, my truth, mm -hmm. even if I gave more information, financial information, everything they ask for, um, sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, so that's why I said kudos to you and I thank you for doing so, but that's just my truth. Again, Joanne, Celeste, I don't know what your stories are, but this is my story. I appreciate it. And, and it, it's, it, it is accepted because it's your truth, right? And, and that's why we're doing this as well, because a part of it is to talk about how, how well your business did and the challenges you have, but it's also to challenge entities like mine to do better. I have, I have a responsibility the same way you do, Joanne, to the community because I'm in this seat not to make myself big, but to make the communities better. So I'm going to be quiet and uh, let you ladies jump in and, and talk a little bit. Well, I have to say that um, the NJRA was uh, pretty much one of the easiest grants that I applied for. And my business has been very fortunate to receive several grants. And I came across NJRA, I actually stumbled across your organization on Facebook. And my strategy was apply for it all. That's either you're gonna get it or you're not gonna get it. So I wrote down the dates that I had to apply, made sure if it said nine o'clock, I was on there by 8.55, ready to, yeah. to rock and roll, had everything together. It was all about preparation for me and just searching anywhere, everywhere for any type of, I didn't want any loans that I did not want. Right, right. So if anything was a grant, I, I went out for it, I set out for it. And the NJRA, when I saw that it was approved, I, I was shocked because that was a blessing in disguise. So um, as far as like the other fundings, they really, I, like I said, I stumbled across these things and networking was a huge, was a huge help for me. Just networking with other females in the same industry to say, Hey, what do you have? And, you know, we were kind of cross reference things and this is what you can apply for. And either we got it or we didn't. And I was fortunate to get, if there were five grants, I have to say I got about four of them. Great. Joanne. Oh man. Okay. So, on paper, I am what they tell you you need to be as a small business owner to get funded. Right. I have a degree in economics, a minor in <laughs> statistics, an MBA in marketing and supply chain management, 10 years of food service experience, three years of retail store ops experience, and my, my bakery has been in the black since launching, and I have no debt. It took a pandemic for me to get funding. 
I'm going to repeat that again. It took a pandemic. The amount of no's that I have seen in the last nine years, like I can't even, I can't even put it into words. So like Mm -hmm. when Arlene was talking like that hit, because I was like, girl, like same, same, same. And um, I did not um, receive any grants from the NJRA. Um, I wasn't aware of them, um, but I did receive one from the NJEDA. Mm-hmm. And I was able to use that to uh, support my rent on on that side. And then I also was able to, and I was suspect, like I'm looking at this PPP loan going, this don't feel right. This don't, <laughs> this don't sound right. Um, this, this feels weird, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but but luckily, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of digging and um, I applied for it. The first round did not go quite as smoothly, but we all know that certain demographics were um, impacted because of our lack of access and um, our lack of networks. And uh, but I did eventually get through on that. And then once the PPP loan came through, I hired my entire team back and we got back to work. So. Um, I will say that those are the two places that funding came from. Uh, once again, it took a pandemic to make it happen and to watch money. F- I'm like, oh, you need us now. <laughs> oh, oh now, now we're important, right? Because you realize how many people we employ and how many families we take care of and how many communities support. Oh, now you need, oh, now you got money. Okay, I'm here. I'm here. So that's, that's how I, that's where I sit. Listen, I sit. listen, ladies. And, and I want to say this, this is a conversation that I want to have uh, because I think in, um, and, and I just did a taping for something else about um, how to build wealth in distressed communities, strategies to build wealth in, in distressed communities. And I'm just going to do a preview for it. Uh, I was on a panel with Otis Rowley from the, the Rockefeller Foundation, and he said, confront racism. That's the strategy, Right. And that's the strategy because it's since it's systemic and it's so ingrained in what happens that sometimes even I don't recognize it. And I have to catch myself because it's, it's couched as underwriting to Joanne's point, right? Uh, Joanne, um, and, and I'll tell you about the NJRA. We, we are, uh, we, our work is limited to 67 eligible communities. Unfortunately, Lawrenceville isn't one of them, but you work with our sister agency who I impressed upon them the importance of helping businesses like yours and that you existed and you were out there and you needed help. So I want to give a shout out to Tim Sullivan, who's the CEO of the EDA, and Ty Cooper, who's a senior VP over there, who worked diligently to swim upstream to make sure that businesses across the board get access to these important, important, important resources. I want to talk about next. Um, as we shift out of, of the pandemic into what we're calling the new normal, what do organizations and entities like mine that are governmental entities, as well as private banks, need to recognize about small businesses, small businesses operated by people of color, small businesses operated by women of color. How, to Joanne's point, do we not wait until a pandemic to be supportive of businesses like yours? 
Joanne, I thought you was gonna chime in because you were very passionate just to, <laughs> about what you were saying. I had to plug my MacBook in real quick and decided to cut my camera off. I was like, go girl, you go girl. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to say that she was so bad, but I couldn't get to the, the button fast enough. Um, so uh, one of the things that I think should take place, let small businesses know what's needed for these approvals. We know that racism is there. We know it's there. Oh, you know, we're not oblivious to it. But aside of the racism, what else is it? What What is needed? Should you have all these documents lined up so you can try to get approved for this? Teach a class, have a course. Just tell them what's needed. So in the event of any type of emergency, they'll have those the documents will be right here before them, whether they have Google files, Google Docs, whatever something like that. Okay. I hear you. I, and, I think and what, um, go ahead, Celeste. I was going to say, I think what um, Arlene said really hit home in regards to hosting a class. I think that that would be tremendously beneficial to small businesses because a lot of us are maybe just starting out or uh, we're not, we may be, you know, elders in the business. We may, you know, we don't, sometimes we don't know where to turn to. So if someone in the organization that are experts, such as itself as uh, NJRA, if classes are hosted ahead of time versus waiting until the pandemic, we're educated as to what needs to be done should this time hit again. If I, if I can only choose one thing though, right? The one thing I'm going to say is change your perspective. And what, I, and what I mean by that is if I was bringing a tech company to the table, I guaranteed I'd find funding. Why? Because we've come to value that. We've come to value the Amazons, the Ubers. We, we've come to value these this different type of service industry because we see that it's pushing us forward, right? But who feeds those people? Who takes care of their children? Our work is not our work. And this is tech versus everybody else, right? I'm not even going to yeah. micro break it down. Yeah. I'm going to say it's tech versus everybody else. Mm -hmm. Our work is not valued the same, mm -hmm. right? And I think the one thing that happened during this time was that you realize that the, as a general, the big decision makers are realizing that, oh my gosh, there's all this intrinsic value even if we're going to ignore the contribution value of our work, a physical cookie, um, that teacher there being with that student, the intrinsic value of our work is incredibly important. Or what you're going to do is just have a whole bunch of people behind keyboards. If people really realize the value of the work and the, our contribution to society and how we're part of an ecosystem, I don't think there would be any problems. I had all the resources available to me. I, I knew how to fill out the documents. I knew how to chase it and I still didn't get it. So mm -hmm. while you're while we're spending that time creating more resources for people so that we have more access, you need to change your mindset of the contribution that all of us make to the bigger, greater picture of how an economy runs. So Joanne, okay, so you getting, you getting me started here. You got me sparked up here. <laughs> you got me sparked up here because if we're gonna really, if we're gonna dig into this contribution thing, um, when did alcohol become essential and daycares weren't and the ginger peach wasn't? Say, and say, say that, say that. Okay, so I'm, just, I'm just saying. So if, right. we, if we're gonna dig deep, you know, let's dig deep. 
That's all I'm saying. And and I, I want you to understand that at, at a at a different level that you may not have seen, those questions were asked. Like, what wait, what? Go, I can go home and get drunk because I can't find flour. Right. So so I want I want to be clear. And what happens sometimes in government is that it's difficult for us to step back from the decision we made, right? And I want to talk about perspective because Joanne, you're so on point with that, right? Because who's in the room when the decision is being made? Right. Depending on who's in the room, it changes the perspective. Joanne, I swear that you were on the taping that I did last Thursday where that came up and it's perspective. And that's why this was so important to me. This podcast is, you guys are the success stories. But the other parts of the series do for those businesses that don't know where to go to get the information or don't have it together, encourages them, this is how you get it together. I am going to share with you guys, and, and, and Joanne, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to meet you. I want to stay connected to you. But as we launched our program, um, and I actually went out, we, we realized about halfway through it that businesses weren't getting online because they were trying to keep their business open, right? So they, you know, Celeste, I honor you, but a lot of businesses didn't get online because right. they were trying to figure out how they were going to survive, right? So we launched a feet on the street campaign where we actually went out and hand delivered the information in communities. And, and in doing that, we, we reached people and I walked into a business and the gentleman said to me, I don't have a lease. And I'm in his physical business and I see his equipment in the business. And I say to him, bruh, if the landlord drops dead tomorrow, you could get locked out of here because you don't have a legal document that says you have the right to be in here. Or if it's a dispute, the first thing that's going to happen if you go to court is the judge is going to say, where's the lease? You have to get a lease. And that happened more than I was comfortable with. That like literally you needed a lease and we could help you. We had to decline people because they couldn't produce the lease. Mm -hmm. or the lease had expired 10 years ago and it was just a handshake to keep it going. So, so a part of this series is getting your accounting uh, house in order, you know, getting your, making sure you have a lease, making sure those documents are there. And to your point, Celeste, we, we're going to, we had what pre pandemic, we had the redevelopment training Institute we dropped the redevelopment and now it's just the training institute where we're going to bring in small businesses in our communities that we serve to teach them. Because guess what? Sometimes in Glassy Cookie, I'm really good at, at the ginger peach. I'm really good at my product, but I don't know the nuances of running my business. And, and that's one of the things that we're taking out of the pandemic that should we have to go back inside again, that we put things in place to help businesses thrive a lot better. So I'm, I'm saying all that to say to you, ladies, thank you for validating what I'm saying because I have the perspective. I, I walk in these communities. I live in these communities and understand the struggle. And it gives me perspective when I sit in the room. But I'm going to tell you candidly, in a lot of places, 
it's not there. And Joanne, you know that. It, it's, it's, it's not there. It's a perspective of a Black woman can run a successful business. Quite frankly, ladies, Black girl magic is real. We run the world. Absolutely. Joanne, I'm just going to piggyback and, and I'm just going to piggyback and, and talk about what you did to pivot in the middle of it. You didn't say, well, here, staff, take some flour, take some sugar home. You said, what does my community need? And service your community because that's what we do because we have the perspective. But we talked a little bit about what we can do better. Um, let's wrap up with each of you sharing with me a lesson you learned that you're going to carry forward into the future. And and before I say that, Arlene, congratulations on the second location. Um, it's Thank in the you. Morristown Thank Mall, y'all. Yes. So in the pandemic, yes. she opened the second location. So let's let's clap that. Congratulations. Patience. Patience, patience, and more patience is what I have learned um, during this time that we're so used to moving so fast and doing things so fast. I've learned to actually slow down and, and take a country walk. Mm. So that's, that's what I've learned. Wow. What, what I've learned from this pandemic is pretty much um, determination to stay determined. Um, I had to block out several naysayers that told me to close when I was sitting in my center alone, when there was no staff, when there was no students, I even had people from the Office of Licensing saying, well, Celeste, if you don't have any students, you should close. I will not close. I will continue to move forward and, I, and I'll wait. So again, as Arlene said, patience, you know, patience. It, it takes patience. So that, that's pretty much what I learned, determination. Excellent. I'll say that I feel like I learned a million lessons in this, um, but I'll say the uh, from a business standpoint, to answer this question from a business perspective, um, your the way you run your business when there is harmony, there is a direct correlation between how your business will make it through a crisis. Mm -hmm. If you are disorganized and you don't have your paperwork in order and you are treating your employees poorly and you're putting your bottom line first and their quality of life second, um, when things when when things go wrong, you're gonna be standing their hands in the bag, just holding the bag alone. Mm -hmm. um, being mindful of you know, we had a really good run in our economy where things were good for a long time. And I think we, people forgot what's important. And the one thing is that's one thing when running the ginger peach that I never changed was when things were good, I still treated everybody good. And I still made sure that I did what I needed to do. So when I looked around, when I felt like I was alone and I had all these people standing right there, I was like, okay. And I had so many people tell me, there's no reason for you to do that. You don't have to give them that. You don't have to do that. You know, they don't want to see the people who are on the lower rungs of our economy step up. And when they see someone doing that, of course, they're going to knock that down because it doesn't line up with the agenda. So, but mm -hmm. I think a lot of companies learned that, that how you, how you manage in harmony is direct correlation to how you will survive a crisis. I agree 100%. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I just want to take your point a little further, Joanne. The number of people that walked away from their jobs 
that said, you know what? I, I was just watching a Tamron Hall the other day and her entire show was about people who left their jobs during the pandemic. One lady bought a farm and it was all women. One lady brought a farm and I can't remember, but the other lady brought a food truck and she always wanted to do it, but she, she just put it off and the pressure she was under, the lady who brought a farm was a nurse and she just couldn't take it anymore. She, she, and, and what, and so Tamron said to her, what couldn't you take? And she said, I can't take that. There's steps to be taken to mitigate this pandemic and people won't do it. And then I meet them. She worked in the, she worked in the ICU and it, it really, it really, um, it, it caused her to shift in her life. Um, ladies, I, I think this is the beginning of a longer term conversation uh, we never know where this is going to lead us. And it's exciting to me. Um, at, at the end of my call the on Thursday, I came up with a concept called perspective. And Joanne, you were so on point with putting that out there uh, that I want to do a podcast about perspectives and to educate the entire community, not just a, a community of people of color, but uh the, the entire community has to understand our perspective. And you can't sit in the seats that we sit in without understanding our perspective. And in my seat, I need business owners like you. I don't need women like you. I need business owners like you to raise the issues, to talk about the things that are important, to teach people why it's important to have a disaster recovery plan in the midst of your business, right? That's a great takeaway from this conversation. So I really cannot thank you enough for taking the time today to talk, to share. I pray for continued blessings on you as individuals, on your businesses, on your staffs, uh, on, on the people that you serve so that you can continue to be of service to the communities that so desperately need you. And I truly, truly thank you for joining me today for the Success Story podcast with Mind Your Business. Thank you, ladies, so much. I appreciate you. <laughs>